today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. In the midst of all the issues that are going on, we, we need to understand that God still is continuing His work. He's still continuing His purposes. He's still continuing His kingdom's plan. God is already in tomorrow, gang. None of that takes Him by surprise. He's already there. And He knows, again, the issues that you're dealing with right now in life He knows what you're going to deal with tomorrow that you don't have a clue about today, okay? And we can find great comfort in the reality of the sovereign power, the might of our God. God is in control. He is always working and planning. He is already in tomorrow. Today, Pastor David encourages us to lean into this truth. We can find great comfort in the midst of turmoil when we remember that God is always working. His plans are greater than ours, and He is all-powerful and in control of all of creation. Do you believe this about your God? He knows the plans He has for you. He knows the plans He has for the entire universe. Rest in Him and know that He is in control. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message from the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, to establish and guard. We've been in a study of First and Second Thessalonians for quite a while. Uh, the, the overarching theme or thought that we've had in this whole study is standing in hope, and we've we've seen both in First Thessalonians as well as in Second Thessalonians that as the Apostle Paul uh, wrote these letters to the church. Uh, he was reminding them of a multiple of things. There, there's some things that we zeroed in uh, probably heavier and took longer time on, but there was a multiple of things that Paul shared with the church during that time. Our, our relationship with Christ, our relationships and our responsibilities as believers, the reality of the return of Christ, uh, both uh, the returning for his bride, the church, as well as the, the coming judgment, what that's going to look like. And again, through all of that, we are offered hope that in the midst of the world that we live in, that there is hope that's found in Christ. Found again in, in the midst of the dark and, and a dying world, in the midst of all the issues that are going on, we, we need to understand that God still is continuing his work. He's still continuing his purposes. He's still continuing his kingdom's plan. God is already in tomorrow, gang. None of that takes him by surprise. He's already there. And he knows, again, the issues that you're dealing with right now in life. He knows what you're going to deal with tomorrow that you don't have a clue about today, okay? And we can find great comfort in the reality of the sovereign power, the might of our God, sovereign over all of his creation, 
all-powerful, omnipotent over all of his creation, all-knowing, omniscient over all of his creation. There's nothing that goes on in your life or your family's life or in our country, in the world, in all of creation. There's nothing that goes on in creation that God is not already aware of. And I don't know about you, but when, when I allow myself to start processing those things, it gives me much greater peace and it brings about a, a comfort that says, man, even when my world is, can I say toilet from the uh, pulpit? Even when my world is going in the toilet, the fact is, is God is still in charge and I can trust him and I can hold on to him in the midst of it. And that's what Paul is trying to, again, I believe, get across to the church of Thessalonica as well as for the church today. God's not ignorant of the things that we go through. And on top of that, he is the avenger of righteousness against the wickedness of the world. The church there was facing great persecution. And Paul says, God's going to take care of that. There's going to come a time. There's going to come a judgment. We're now in the last chapter of 2 Thessalonians, and I invite you uh, to go there if you would right now. Uh, The 2 Thessalonians, again, um, a short book, three chapters. The uh, third chapter here, 18 verses. There's a few things that Paul covers here. um, uh, Actually, a multiple of things, but there's Two primary things that we're going to look at. We probably won't get to them today, but two primary things that we see here. One is, is what should be our attitude and our actions towards fellow believers if they're living a life without discipline, uh, living a life of disorder uh, toward the things of God? So what, what, what should our attitude be toward those individuals? Secondly, we see what is the response of the church toward those who are freeloaders, okay? Uh, those that feel that for whatever reason, they shouldn't have to work, but that everyone else should take care of them. Now, I'm not talking about the pastoral staff that, that gets paid from the church. Uh, neither am I talking about those that have physical uh, issues that, again, need assistance. I'm not going there. We need to understand uh, it, it's not pointing to those with limitations. It's dealing with those that for one reason or another have purposefully stopped working and expect the balance of the church to support them or or to care for them. Now, we're going to get into that deeper as we get in the study, but uh, at this point in time, apparently there were those in the church there in Thessalonica that felt, well, the Lord's coming, so I'm quitting my job and I'm just going to hang out and wait for the Lord. I've been doing that for two or three days and I don't have any groceries, so can I come to your house and eat? And, uh, you know, then then pretty soon there's another physical need or a financial need that I haven't, but I'm waiting for the Lord. I'm really spiritual. I gave up everything, uh, but can can you help me out a little bit? And so they were going around and in essence uh, sponging off the rest of the congregation while they felt that they were doing the really spiritual thing because they gave everything else up and were waiting for the Lord. Beloved, we are called to continue to maintain, to continue to work till Jesus comes. There's an old song uh, that we used to sing, uh, we'll work till Jesus comes. And that's just the reality of what we're called to do and what we're called to be as believers. But we'll get into that more as we get into those verses. As we begin the study this morning, Paul uses uh, the the favorite word of long-winded preachers, 
finally, <laughs> finally. Uh, but then, the, like, like most preachers, then he goes on and he writes the longest chapter of the book here uh, after this. So look with me, if you would, at uh, chapter 3 of Second Thessalonians. We'll look at the first uh, five verses this morning. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful who will establish you, and he'll guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. Now, may the Lord direct your hearts in the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Well, in all fairness, and, uh, and again, kind of joking laid aside, at least for the time being, when Paul uses that word finally, uh, it actually has a little bit different meaning than in the English. You know, we think, okay, finally, uh, we're just going to say goodbye, it's done, it's over. Actually, in the Greek, the word there means, uh, in, in addition to everything else that I've said, there's uh, something else that needs to be added to it. Uh, again, it, this, is, this is the rest of the whole. Not, uh, I'm cutting it off here, but again, here's another important part. Uh, if you've ever watched those infomercials, it's the old thing of, uh, and that's not all. There's more. And that's in essence what we see here that Paul is sharing. Paul, uh, he, he's, he's not going to go into just a few random thoughts at the closing here. He's actually going to share some things that are very important, that are very much a, a powerful part of the main of this letter. So again, uh, as we go through this, the thought of the word used, I believe it's the intention of the apostle to that we need to consider the context of what has been said before and then add to it the message that's about to be given. So before we go too far, we need once again understand that the audience here that Paul is writing to, he's giving to them an exhortation and encouragement and instruction. He says, finally, brethren. That's the audience that he's dealing with. He's dealing with believers. He's dealing with those men, those women, that church body that he calls brothers and sisters together. Uh, not just He's not writing just to the pastors or to the elders uh, some form of instruction, i.e. like he wrote to Timothy or Titus. But here he says, now brethren, or finally brethren. He's talking to the entire body. The message is for all of us. His first request there of that body of believers is to pray for us. Pray that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is in you. Paul is asking them to to pray for him. And for those that are working, for those that are ministering right alongside of him, we need to understand this isn't some structured, uh, some formal way that Paul is asking for them to pray. I had a, an individual, uh, gosh, probably about a month ago, uh, ask me, you know, I noticed that we never say the, the model prayer or the Lord's Prayer during our services. He said that I, I was raised in a church where every Sunday we, we spoke that. Well, I have nothing against the model prayer. But understand, it is a model of prayer. 
It is not necessarily a prayer that we say. Now, some do that because, again, the, the whole structure, the mindset of it, it's a great, and I'm not belittling it or putting it down, but the prayer that God wants from our lives is something that is heartfelt, not just simply wrote, not just something that, that's, uh, again, we just all say together. He wants to hear our heart. Paul understood that the prayers of the saints move the powers of heaven. The prayers of the saints move the powers of heaven. Now, I don't understand that. I'll be one of the first to tell you, I don't understand that because I know that God is sovereign. I know that God is all-powerful. I know that God is, is, is wise, all, all wisdom, knows everything. Why in the world do I need to pray? If God knows what my needs are, why doesn't he just take care of them? And I can just cruise along and, man, he knows I need this, and boom, I, he knows I need that, and he takes care of it. Why should I need to pray? Prayer does not make logical sense to me in the understanding of who God is. However, I say that, but I have to add quickly because some of you are about to say, man, my pastor, he's a weirdo. Uh, the fact is, is our prayers, I believe, set in motion the things that God desires to work and move within our hearts, within our lives. How that works, I'll be honest, I don't know. But he calls for us to pray. The word of God tells us, man, don't worry about anything. But everything through prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. Worry about nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Casting all our cares upon him. Pray for the Lord of the harvest that he'd send forth laborers into the harvest. You don't think that God wants to send laborers into the harvest of souls? And yet he calls for you and I as believers to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth those labors. I believe biblically, that our prayers literally and truly set in motion the very things that God desires to do. Those things that are ready and prepared. And what happens when we don't pray? I believe that it hinders what God desires to do in our personal lives and in his kingdom's work. You and I are called to pray, to seek after the Lord, to cry out, to lay these things, to ask. If you don't ask, guess what? You don't receive. Doesn't, the, doesn't Jesus himself say, seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. When we ask, he'll answer. Beloved, that's the understanding. How that all works, I don't know. But I know that that's the way that God has it for us. Paul understood that without prayer, his own life and the movement of the ministry would be greatly hindered or perhaps would even come to an end. The attack of the enemy was so strong continually throughout the ministry of Paul. He was continually asking the people that he ministered to to pray. Pray for us that there would be open doors for the gospel. Pray for us because we are uh, against such great conflict right now. In every one, nearly every one of his gospels, Paul asked the body of believers to pray for him or to pray for the work of the ministry. Paul knew full well that our prayers, guys, our prayers cannot be structured or stale or sterile prayers. 
a rote prayer spoken from an empty heart and directed at no one in particular is an absolutely powerless prayer. If we truly don't have a relationship with Christ, if we truly don't know God as our Father, that we can come into his very presence, into the very throne room of glory, cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. These are the cares, these are the concerns, these are the issues. These are the things that are troubling my heart. If, If I don't know that, if I don't understand that, then really I'm praying to something I don't know. And if, I, if, if my prayer life is limited to a, 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 a book of prayers or a, a rote prayer that we say, beloved, is our heart engaged in the midst of those things? Can a written prayer be meaningful? Absolutely. But it's got to be more than just ink on a page, gang. It's got to be the attitude of our heart. I know that some church uh, traditions, uh, books of prayers and particular prayers that they say, I have no particular issue with that as long as the ink leaves the paper by way of our heart before it ascends into heaven. Because if it simply goes from the paper into heaven, I believe it becomes meaningless, powerless at that point. And Paul here, he's asking for two very specific prayers with definite and hoped for uh, outcomes that he has. The first one, the first prayer, he's found at the end of verse one. He says, pray for us, and the thing he says, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. He desired that the word of the gospel would would continue to, to spread across the region. You realize that Paul did not get the opportunity to preach to everybody in that region. He went to particular cities, and within those particular cities, sometimes he would go to the synagogue, other times he would just meet with believers, depending upon where the gospel had, uh, again, transitioned at that point in time. But there were multitudes of people that Paul never spoke to. So the important thing was, is the message that he gave to the ones that he did speak to, that that message would spread to them, from them to others within that region, and from them to others beyond that, and from them others beyond that. Beloved, that's, that's the principle of multiplication. Uh, that's the principle of one telling two, those two telling six, those six telling 18, those 18 telling 48, and on and on it goes. If it's up for one person to proclaim the gospel, how slow the transition in the message of the gospel goes. But God has called for all of us to be the proclaimers and the message of the gospel. There's people that you know, that you're close with, that will never enter these doors, that'll never turn on a Christian radio. They'll never open up a Bible. As a matter of fact, you are the only Bible that they know. You're the living word of God in that individual's life. Now, if that doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what does. Because you might be the only Actively involved Christian that they know. And when I speak about actively involved, I mean a true believer. There's many people that say, oh yes, I'm a Christian. I was born in America, wasn't I? Or my parents were Christians, so I must be a Christian. No, it doesn't come that way. When they look at you, this friend, this coworker, this neighbor, whomever it might be, because they don't read the Bible, because they don't go to any place that preaches the true word of God, 
They see you and you are the one. And from you is where the gospel message continues to flow. The impact of lives, once they receive by faith the truth of God's word, then through that, the Holy Spirit transforming that life and the word of the Lord then is glorified in that life just as it was in the lives of the Thessalonians as they spread out. Because if you'll remember, uh, as we've looked at this, Paul has bragged on them, man, I've heard all that you guys are doing all throughout that region. Paul knew that the message of the gospel wasn't being maintained in this nice, quiet, safe group. But the reality of changed lives was making an influence on their community, just as for your lives, our lives together ought to. The word of the Lord might run swiftly and be glorified. Secondly, his request for prayer touched on on an an, an immediate need of his ministry team. Look at verse 2. He asked for prayer that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men unreasonable and wicked men. And then Paul says probably one of the greatest understatements that you can read in the Bible. For not all have faith. For not all. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but not all have faith. Okay, We'll look at that in a moment. But right now, this ongoing spiritual attack that, that was coming against Paul, this ongoing attack upon the word of the Lord had taken a, a physical position or stand in this direct persecution and, and pushback against Paul and the ministry team. Uh, when they had first come to Thessalonica, you remember the Jews from Philippi came down and began pushing and, and attacking and, and, and bringing persecution against them while they were there in Thessalonica. They were only able to be there for just a, a, a very short time. Three Saturdays or three Sabbaths in the synagogue. From there, they went out of the synagogue, continued teaching, but only for a few short other weeks because of the persecution that came. Then once they left there, they went on and more persecution, more persecution. The spiritual attack takes on a physical reality as it comes against the work and the ministry of the gospel. Those that came against the message of Christ, came against the apostle, and came against all that he was desiring to share with the people of that culture. These men, these individuals that were coming with this pushback against the gospel, they were unwilling, as Isaiah says, to to come together, to reason together. They, They didn't want to reason together. They were unreasonable men. Isaiah says, come, let us reason together. That's what we might know about sin. And though our sin was as scarlet, it could be as white as crimson. Though it's red, or it could be white as snow. Though it's red like crimson, it could be like wool. I love what Isaiah says, come, let us reason. Let us talk about these things. But these men were not willing to reason together. If you remember in Paul's ministry a little bit later from the time that he was in Thessalonica, he was in the area of Athens. And he went up on Mars Hill and up on Mars Hill. That's where the intellectuals were. That's where the, the, the philosophers were. And Paul went up there and began to reason the scriptures with them. And these guys debated for a while. They, they continued to go back and forth for a while. And then we learn, we understand that as they heard, again, as Paul began speaking, they were doing fine until he spoke about Jesus being raised from the dead. And then their little intellectual minds blew. 
Well, our time with you today on The Open Word is almost over. You don't have to wait to hear more from the book of 2 Thessalonians. Pastor David's here to tell you how you can access our messages right now. Hey, thanks, Chris. All the messages you enjoyed here on The Open Word are available on our website. Just visit theopenword.com and click on Teachings. You can scroll through our archive and listen online, or you can download the teachings to take with you on the go. I've even provided my notes for most of the teachings so you can read right along. You might see something new your ears may have missed. Feel free to share any of my teachings if you feel it would benefit a friend or a family member. That website, one more time, is theopenword.com. Thanks, Pastor David. We'd like to take a moment and ask you to consider being a partner of The Open Word. As we continue to spread the good news of the gospel through the airwaves, we want to make sure we're focused on Jesus first and our jobs second. That's where you come in. Would you commit to praying for Pastor David and those of us creating the open word? Pray also that those who are hearing about Jesus would have open hearts to receive his hope and grace. We'd also like to ask you to consider partnering with us financially. Any amount is useful and greatly appreciated. Find out more by visiting theopenword.com and clicking on support. Thank you for bringing this and us before the Lord in prayer. Join Pastor David next time to continue studying the book of 2 Thessalonians right here on The Open Word.